I'm here with Belinda Judd and Jenny Brentnell, authors of their paper just published online in BMC Medical Education, Evaluating Allied Health Students' Readiness for Placement Learning, co-authored with a host of others, namely Justin Scanlon, Kate Thompson, Felicity Blackstock, Alison Mandrusiak, Lucy Chipchase, Anna Phillips and Sue McAllister, a team from across Australia. Alison's from the University of Queensland, Anna's from the University of South Australia and in Adelaide, and Felicity is at La Trobe in Melbourne. So Belinda and Jenny, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your background and the rationale that led to the research around this publication. Thanks, Lynn. So yes, my name is Linda Judd and my clinical background is in physiotherapy and I'm currently part of the uh, work integrated learning group that's in the discipline of physiotherapy, but my research interests are around student assessment and simulation. And I'm Jenny Brentnell, and I'm with the Discipline of Occupational Therapy, also at Faculty of Medicine Health, University of Sydney. And my teaching interests are in placements and simulation and preparation for placements, really broadly speaking. And I research those things as well as student assessment, developing clinical reasoning and student peer learning in placements. That's great. So you both really focused your um, actual research and your education around placements. So I'm guessing when we think about the rationale for the research, it comes from your own experiences. Would that be right? That's right. So we definitely saw that there was a gap in the need for quality feedback and quality assessment, more novice in the allied health students journey to help determine and identify the students who were ready to begin their placement program and those that might need additional remediation or be not suitable to progress yet onto their clinical placements. There was a lot of literature and a lot of really strong tools that measured uh, readiness to practice, but we certainly saw a gap in quality feedback and assessment practices that help identify and provide that feedback to students about their readiness for their placement journey. So much more novice. Uh, and we realised that you couldn't also just adapt an assessment tool for readiness for practice because it was a quite a very different school skill set that we were looking for that determines if students were actually ready to go on to placement. So what kind of skill sets are you are you talking about here? So looking at students' preparedness or readiness to learn in that dynamic learning environment, as well as some of the foundational skills that educators expect students to arrive at placement with. So the background literature tells us a lot that educators are prepared to teach their students with the really site-specific skills or a particular area of practice and the nuances and the local practices that really expect the students to come along with really good professional behaviour, learner behaviours, so that taking some initiative, being ready to deal with feedback, to learn in a really dynamic environment that isn't centred around the student like the university is. Their communication skills, so they can clearly get their message across and understand what their client's telling them, summarise that. And some basic information gathering skills, so that they can take information from a file or take information from a basic history with a patient or client. And the subject of your article is work preparedness for placements for allied healthcare professional students. Do you want to tell me a bit more about the specific healthcare professional groups you've worked with? 
So I guess right from the start, we recognise that this problem that we're addressing is not a discipline-specific problem. These foundational skills, and the prior literature tells us this as well, the educators are looking for very similar things across allied health. So we worked particularly with our three biggest health science cohorts, so physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and speech pathology, because we were all consistently using simulation in preparation for placement. So we had some similarities in our preparation programs, but also some very different designs of simulation and what comes before simulation in our programs. So that gave us a common problem with large enough student cohorts to be able to get a bit of a grip on how well any solution that we propose might work within disciplines as well as across disciplines. And we really built on a prior study by Lucy Chipchase and her colleagues, and they had viewed placement readiness from the placement educator perspective with those same three disciplines. And I guess the similarities across those three disciplines aren't surprising or controversial because of the nature of allied health work in terms of autonomy and authority and risk and the progression through a series of placements to the point where when our students graduate, they kind of have that right to practice without any further ongoing internships or education. We also consulted a little more broadly along the way, so both looking at the literature and talking to colleagues in other allied health disciplines, just checking in with the sorts of things we're doing, such as with podiatry or dietetics or paramedicine. And there is plenty of scope to kind of extend this work if others pick up this interest and, and would like and see the relevance of this in their area. But we focus down to keep it manageable, keep it real, physiotherapy, occupational therapy and speech pathology. And I think the rationales behind that is really strong that, you know, you've actually got a decent cohort happening there and 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 uh, looking across the different healthcare professions within those cohorts. So what, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you did? What methods did you use and 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 why? Yeah, so essentially this was an assessment development study. So we took an integrative mixed methods design because we wanted to bring together multiple stakeholders' perspectives, but also have some statistical testing of what we're doing with those samples. So there are two main stages to what we did. In the first stage, we needed to identify what students might be able to demonstrate that could show us that they were ready for placement, but before they actually got to that placement setting. So we used the literature, we used the diversity within our team input into designing items, and then we evaluated potential items by surveying students, university-based simulation program educators, and academics who were preparing students for placements. And then our second stage was to package up and, and present the, the thing that we'd come up with. And then we piloted that at the University of Sydney across the three disciplines. So we took 359 students who were just completing their usual preparation for placement programs in simulation. And we had their educators take our package and score their readiness for placement on this tool. And so that was an assessment that had 20 items covering those four areas that I'd mentioned. So professional behaviour, learner behaviour, communication and information gathering. And then we did a whole lot of statistical analysis on that, um, applying the RASH measurement model to identify was this a unique dimensional construct and some of the measurement properties. Tell us a little bit more about the RASH. Uh, so it's an item response theory based approach premised on that the items come together as a unidimensional 
measure of one construct, in this case, readiness for placement. And so we're testing the assumption that items that appear easy for students to score highly on are easy for all students, not just subgroups of students. And items that are difficult are difficult for all students. Students who score really well, who are rated as having very high readiness for placement, score relatively well on all of the items and vice versa. And so that allows us to test that we're not bringing in different kind of constructs that aren't related to readiness for placement into the measure. It also allows us to do what's called differential item functioning tests. So having a look, for example, we took our three different disciplines and checked that the items worked in the same kind of way across those disciplines because we were proposing that readiness for placement, the skills we were looking at were the same across those disciplines. So what did you find? So we found that generally, actually, it was very impressive. I mean, the statistical details are a bit hard to go into verbally. Graphs do this real, real justice. Take a look at that paper. But unsurprisingly, most of the students scored very well. And so whilst in a classic kind of assessment, we might consider that to be a ceiling effect, that actually was something that we're not concerned about because we're looking at screening students who might not be so ready for placement. So we would expect that most of them are and we don't need to measure really high degrees of readiness for placement. We found that the maximum sensitivity of our measurement where most of the items were, were around that decision point where educators were saying to us, no, this student's not ready. Yes, this student's ready. Oh, I'm a little bit unsure about this student. I need to think some more. Maybe with a bit of remediation, they might get there. That decision point is where we've really got our sensitivity. There were a couple of items that weren't functioning quite as strongly, so we've ended up with an 18-item assessment recommended. And, and you know, looking at your findings and looking at the way that it's screened the students, do you feel there's a sense that it's actually really picking up on those issues that you really wanted it to pick up on? Yeah, absolutely. The feedback from its implementation is that it's certainly because of that sensitivity around that threshold point of being ready or kind of not quite ready, it's certainly picking up the, the students that we are hoping to kind of screen and identify so that we can further develop them and further support them towards that readiness for placement. So I guess essentially it's pitched at the right point. Fantastic. So this is a tool that you developed from a real world problem. And you've been able to, I mean, post the research, you've been able to use it yourself, I assume? Absolutely. So it's had a really large uptake, not only within the University of Sydney, that it's used in lots of our simulation preparation for placement programs in both undergrad and graduate entry master's courses across a number of disciplines. It's also now picked up in numerous programs across Australia and also in the Northern Hemisphere where we have a lot of collaborations with programs, for example, in Glasgow and also in Southampton. So a lot of our programs over there are also using it with good effect with a number of allied health professions, including sort of speech, OT, physio, podiatry, etc. Wow. So you've only just published the paper, but most people publish first and then spend a lot of time trying to get their work noticed, but you seem to have done it the other way around. Um, how did you disseminate your work just, you know, to enable people to know about your tool and, and use your tool? 
we certainly got a lot of early feedback to say that educators had also recognised this need and this gap for a tool in this area and also loved the applicability, the ease of use, the fact that it could work across a number of professions. It wasn't an onerous task to do. It made sense to them. Just through other types of collaborations, they were hearing about this project. We certainly presented it at a number of conferences as well. And we would have a lot of feedback and a lot of people contact us saying, this sounds perfect for my program. Can we collaborate and, and can we take this on board and give it a go as well? So it's certainly exponentially got a lot of traction very early and I think that was like I said a um, uh, a recognition of of it filling a big need uh, for people and it also being I guess a quality tool that's easy to administer absolutely it got that traction but even before publishing well that's a real testimony for presenting your research at conferences and stuff you know so, um, I mean, you've been using the tool and, and other people have up, had, you know, some uptake of it. Have you done any more sort of follow-up studies in this area? Absolutely. If anything, we've been trying to hold on to the reins a little bit and slow people down <laughs> using Epicure so that we can focus on doing some more research and getting some more evidence. So there is more to do beyond this paper. We've uh, had no trouble at all recruiting to get a broader sample, so more diverse simulation programs across Australia to get a bigger sample to have a look at some of the the validity arguments and so really diving deep at the moment into some deep validity theory and Keynes framework and that kind of thing. We're also starting to investigate with some colleagues in South Australia, having a look at the predictive nature of the scores on this assessment. So when we have students who are scored as not ready to progress to placement, if we allow them to go through to placement, what do the educators say when they arrive? Is there an agreement there? And vice versa, if students are ready, are the educators seeing that they're also ready? So really thoroughly testing that point at the moment. The other area that we're having a look at is self-assessment. So one of the things that we found when we surveyed students initially in this study was that students rated all of the things that we proposed as very important and they must certainly have to demonstrate them to a very high degree before they could possibly do placement. And so that relates and we know that there's also we need to put some specific effort into developing students' feedback literacy and these kinds of things. So we're taking a look at peer assessment, self-assessment and educator assessment. We've got some hypotheses about patterns in that to identify if that plays out and how we can assist students to better recognise their own and their peers' readiness for placement and the place of feedback so that they can keep developing. So this is a great success story about, you know, a research venture that's gone from an, a real-life problem and then, you know, now you're actually using it and, and really interrogating what this means for students and, and healthcare professionals more generally. What have been the challenges in undertaking this research? There's definitely been some challenges. 
Jenny has been absolutely fabulous in co-leading the project, but it does involve a large team and a team that's quite diverse and across Australia. So I guess that was a learning curve, sort of managing a project with such a large team. COVID put a spanner in the works, of course, as well. It changed how we did simulation, how much time we had available for research, our ability to do data collection. Uh, so COVID provided additional challenges. I personally found this paper a quite a difficult style of paper to write. The length of time and the number of times I needed sort of help and edits and feedback and rewrite from the co-authors was probably larger than I would normally expect as well. I found it a challenging paper, absolutely. I guess I would agree with those points. I think we've got very experienced researchers in our team as well. And I think, I guess, if we take a look at the positive of spending that time, actually, when we came to publication, it had been through so much internal peer review and work, it was a really solid paper. And so the actual publication process, when we got out the other side and we're we're ready and able to submit that has actually gone quite smoothly and that's been great to see and so hopefully it's a really robust and really useful paper for everybody out there to read and pick up and use. I guess in relation to what Belinda said about the impacts of COVID, one of the things we've said is that this came from a very practice-based problem and that has been a huge advantage to this research but one of the things about researching in an area practice is you also need to keep that practice going. And COVID has certainly impacted the world of simulation. In many respects, it has increased the use of simulation drastically. And so, for example, some of those collaborations in the United Kingdom, there's a lot more interest in simulation than there has been and some shifting from the accreditation bodies. And that's been fantastic for people who practice and research in this space. But also having to very rapidly change to adapting guidelines or bringing on new programs, doing new things in a simulation space because the real world space wasn't available to us at the moment. Doing that so quickly and doing that in a way that really enabled students learning with high quality was a lot of work. I felt like I spent a lot of that period just surviving, just trying to keep things running, making sure the things were brilliant for students and they weren't seeing any of the mad ducklings paddling under the water. (laughs) And so it definitely did disrupt the flow of and put some of the research on the back burner there. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our our listeners will resonate with what you're saying there. One of the main questions I'd like to ask you is what made you decide to submit to BMC Medical Education? Was that the first place that you submitted to? Was it, you know, what's your strategy there? BMC was, uh, MedEd was on the top of our list. The type of criteria that we used to have a discussion about our target journal was we wanted to send it to not a discipline-specific journal because of its applicability so broadly. We also wanted to look at one that was Q1 and had a decent impact factor. So to double-check, we were sending it to a quality journal. We think the open nature of the journal was to our benefit as well for sort of broader access for people to come on board. So that were the main reasons we decided to go with BMC MedEd. Fantastic. And so what's next for you guys? 
Um, so we are continuing those streams of research around this instrument. And I guess Belinda and I are both also researching in the simulation space and around assessment and feedback and feedback literacy and that kind of thing. But we've certainly got plenty of work in relation to this assessment, plenty of work if others would like to, to join us and to take some leadership on some of that work as well. We've got all the data for the, the big validation study. And as I said, we're doing that perspective study and also having a look at self-assessment and peer assessment, but lots of other opportunities as well as space on those ones. Yeah, so Jenny summed that up uh, really nicely. We have oodles of data and, and lots of kind of parallel projects happening in this space. So that sort of first publication ho should hopefully open the floodgates to uh, lots more research and, and scholarly work in this area. It's in a good way, we've opened a can of worms, I think, on the topic, but it's been a really exciting thing to be involved in and, yeah, really uh, humbled by how, yeah, the momentum that it's taken and, and how well it's been received so far. Well, I'd like to congratulate you both on on the research that you've been doing and, and the impact that you've already had. So I've been speaking with Belinda Judd and Jenny Brentnell, the authors of their paper just published online. BMC Medical Education, Evaluating Allied Health Students' Readiness for Placement Learning, co-authored with a host of others, including Justin Scanlon, Kate Thompson, Felicity Blackstock, Alison Mandrusiak, Lucy Chipchase, Anna Phillips, and Sue McAllister. <laughs>